This podcast was supported by the Pulitzer Center. Lina's cousin agreed to sneak her past the guarded barricades of Pueblos Unidos in his truck. Que yo sudaba y, y mis manos mojadas, sentía que el corazón se me iba a salir. With sweaty palms and her heart beating through her chest, Lina and seven family members lay in the bed of his truck. Nos tapamos con unas cobijas. Hidden under blankets, Lina and her family fled their home. Yo sabía que, que se, me, se me miraban a mí, Lina had to leave. These men knew who she was. After all, Ixtaro was a very small town. With nothing but a change of clothes, she started guiding her family to Tijuana, a border city just south of San Diego, California. In Mexico, the U.S. is thought of as a safe place to flee violence. She decided to take her chances and head to the U.S.-Mexico border. After leaving home, Lina became the leader within her family. Throughout their journey, Lina met several relatives who'd also fled Michoacán, driven by the same fear of the cartel's retributions. Lina's brother, Willy, was killed protecting his town from narcos. They ended up being a party of 25. One of them was another cousin of Linda's. He had been shot and tortured by the same narcos that killed Willie days before, but managed to escape. The bullet was stealing his foot. He told Linda he felt more dead than alive. As a family, they pushed forward towards safety. Leaving Michoacán has been a community effort. Her family offered transportation and places to stay along the way. Her brother, who had been living in the U.S. for 20 years, bought them plane tickets to reach the border. When Linda finally felt Tijuana's humid coastal wind on her skin, she felt some relief. Inching towards safety, she led her family on foot to the port of entry but they were met by an unfriendly officer. He told them to leave. Her cousin showed the officer his injured foot, but still, he turned them away. Linda didn't have a plan B, and staying in Mexico wasn't an option. As options narrowed, fatigue and fear started to set in. Her entire family had trusted they would make it to the U.S., and she was the one responsible for them. Not knowing where to turn, Lina felt her heart sink. It was up to her to ensure they'd have a shot at crossing. Me llegó un dolor de cabeza de esos she got a massive headache and her eyes clouded with pain. Within a few days, her brother Willie had been killed. She fled her home with barely a change of clothes 
She was turned away at the border and grew terrified as her chances of reaching the U.S. felt further and further away. Under mounting stress, Linda fell apart. Left with no protection, crossing the border has become the only way to survive for families that have been uprooted because of armed violence. This story will take you from the beautiful avocado fields in Michoacán, Mexico, to wineries in Napa, California. To the NRA convention and migrant shelters in Tijuana. To the mental spaces people find themselves in after fleeing. I'm Toya Sarno-Jordan. And I'm Stefania Corpi. This is episode three of Caliber 60. Linda didn't have to navigate narco politics anymore. Now she had to navigate U.S. migration policies. When COVID-19 hit, the Trump administration implemented a little-known emergency health measure called Title 42. The rule allows Border Patrol officials to quickly expel irregular migrants arriving at the land borders without processing them. This caused thousands of migrants to gather in makeshift camps along the northern Mexican border awaiting a change in U.S. migration policies. The Trump-era border policy known as Title 42 will remain in place for now. The statute allows immigration authorities to turn migrants back without a chance to claim asylum. The Biden administration wants to restrict who can seek asylum at the U.S.-Mexico border. Seeking asylum has become nearly impossible for families like Linda's. In Tijuana, at the port of entry called El Chaparral, a makeshift camp started growing in February 2021, after Title 42 was implemented. After being rejected by the officer at the border, Linda tried to settle her family in this camp. El Chaparral was an outdoor camp with hundreds of people living under tarps, a handful of porta potties, and many security issues. Even here, Gangs controlled many aspects of life, much like in Ixtaro. She worried about sleeping outside. Her sons already shivered from the cold. Still weighing her options at the makeshift camp, she was approached by a man named Beto who offered her spots at a proper migrant shelter close by. A todo mundo le tenía miedo acá en Tijuana. Yo sentía que cada persona que se me arrimaba algo me iba a hacer. Since leaving Ixtaro, Linda was scared of everyone. Now, being in one of the most unsafe cities in Mexico, she felt danger everywhere. Her family kept asking her what to do. And what she did was place her faith in Beto, the stranger who had approached her at El Chaparral. Beto was a migrant himself. After fleeing El Salvador, he now spends his days in Tijuana helping others on their journeys north at Espacio Migrante, Balina's shelter. Linda agreed to be picked up in a van. She was still terrified, but knew she had to take a chance. You're listening to Caliber 60. We'll be right back.
Support for this podcast comes from the Catena Foundation, making ambitious public radio journalism projects under TPR's Border and Immigration News Desk possible. Welcome back to Caliber 60. At the time, shelters in Tijuana only received migrants who had quarantined in a hotel provided by the United Nations. Linda and her family spent two weeks here in isolation. Once Beto received her at the shelter and the adrenaline of the past few weeks subsided, Memories started to creep in. De hecho, todo el tiempo que estuve ahí, todo el tiempo fue puro recuerdos y puro llorar. She thought of the murder of her brother Willie. She thought of her home, her laundromat business. She tried to stay strong for her children, but in quiet moments, she would cry in silence. Adding to the stress of fleeing home, people living at the shelters were asked to stay inside because of COVID. Linda felt trapped, but was also grateful her family had somewhere to sleep. Lina was assigned a psychologist who she could talk to. Shelters provide emergency items to migrants, such as clothes, food, medication, but some also provide psychological support. For people fleeing violence, psychological trauma is extremely common. Specialists working in shelters along the U.S.-Mexico border explain that panic and anxiety attacks can be triggered by as little as a person wearing a black outfit, the sound of an alarm, or even a dog barking. The most common symptoms after traumatic events would be, for example, anxiety, a lot of fear, acute stress, sleep disorders, they have nightmares, they can't sleep at night, psychosomatic disorders such as headaches, muscle tension, palpitation, that was Natalie Garin, mental health activity manager at Doctors Without Borders in Mexico. She explains that when these symptoms persist, we could be looking at post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Studies have found that almost half of migrants experience PTSD, whether in their place of origin, while traveling, or once they arrive in their host country. For many, their biggest fear is to never reach safety. Garin explains this is especially noticeable in children who start showing different behavioral patterns. They isolate themselves, some at their beds at night, or even reenact traumatic scenes they've lived. The games may be aggressive. They, for example, have toys and they start like playing as if they were guns. Children can't identify or articulate feelings in the way adults can, but through play and behavior, their suffering is clear. In January 2022, we made our own way to Tijuana. Yo salí de Guerrero y soy de Michoacán. Vengo de Michoacán. We visited migrant shelters where we met many Mexican women, all fleeing violence from the home states. Linda's story kept repeating itself. Me mataron a mi hija de cinco balazos. Mi hija tenía 17 años. They killed my daughter with five gunshots. She was 17 years old. I'm here to claim asylum. My life and my son's life are in danger. She 
He says that if I don't go back to him, he will first dismember my son to make me suffer, and then he will find me. She says this as she nervously twirls her fingers. Her former partner kept sending her threatening videos of himself. Holding an AR-15, he demanded her to return to him. Tired of living under constant threat by armed groups, people are fleeing their homes. They are risking their lives to reach the United States, the country, ironically, these guns are coming from. Migrant shelters are usually run by a single person, a priest, a pastor, or a group of volunteers. But to keep the shelters running, migrants have to contribute with daily chores such as cleaning, cooking, and general upkeep. At the shelter, Linda was assigned kitchen duty, and Beto was always curious about what ingredients she was using. Maria, Linda's mother, recalls they celebrated a quinceañera birthday of one of their family members. Beto was the godfather, and the dress was made of garbage bags. The bouquet was made of disposable plates, and the feast was free. They were being taken care of, but Lina didn't want her family living in a shelter. She remained determined to reach the U.S. Historically, Tijuana has hosted some of the largest migrant communities along the U.S.-Mexico border. In 2022, around 37 migrant shelters were active, but many can't offer the safety people need. Shelters themselves receive threats, and some have been shot at by criminal groups. And the other thing is that because they are still in Mexican territory, this also means that the people looking for them can find them in Tijuana. That's Paulina Olvera, executive director of Espacio Migrante, a shelter that hosts migrants in Tijuana. Cartels have eyes and ears across the country and can easily track down people fleeing. We have had families who, who share with us, I just received a direct threat from the cartel saying that, I know you're in Tijuana in a shelter. When this happens, they try to connect them to larger shelters. IOM has noted that there has been an increase in the number of individuals who are Mexicans, who are internally displaced, uh, who are finding shelters in these migrant shelters in the north. Dana graber Ladic, Mexico's chief of mission at the International Organization for Migration, explains there's a recent trend of Mexicans fleeing north, and hopes they will obtain asylum in the United States. Most of the population we had in our shelter in 2021 were Mexicans. That's Paulina Olvera again from Espacio Migrante, the shelter where Linda stayed for three months. She told us that she's noticed a relationship between increasing violence in Mexico and the number of Mexicans reaching the border. But there was also a new trend. People were traveling with big families, like Linda's. So this included like grandparents, aunts, uncles, that all of them had to leave their community and get here to Tijuana with the whole family. So that for us showed us that um, it's something that it's displacing full families from, from their community. 
On the U.S. side, Customs and Border Patrol, or CBP, has also registered record high numbers of encounters of Mexican nationals entering irregularly through the southwestern border. Encounters went from 237,000 in 2020 to 808,000 in 2022. Every now and then, migration lawyers would visit the shelter. Most of them explained things were complicated and that their likelihood of reaching the U.S. was slim. They told her to be patient, but Linda didn't want to sit around and wait. Linda had kept the photos of her brother's disfigured body. She sent them to the lawyers. And it worked. The next day, a lawyer told her she and her family were supposedly pre-approved to cross a border with an authorization. Her cousin, the one with the bullet in his foot, had been renting an apartment in Tijuana and working day shifts. She told him he would also be able to cross the border. He rushed to get a COVID test and was able to join them. Linda had brought her family one step closer to safety. Still, her concerns kept piling on. Someone told Linda about freezing cold rooms where migrants are held by CBP officers. Many describe these infamous rooms as hieleras, or iceboxes. After being detained on U.S. territory, many migrants are held in sterile rooms with concrete floors. They can be held for several days and nights at low temperatures. Now it was time for Linda to cross, and she was nervous CBP would also hold her family in one of these iceboxes. They were all escorted to a room where they waited for about four hours. They were given some food and asked to sign some papers. Then, with no explanation, they were asked to form a line and hop on a bus. Keep your sweater on, Linda Bechterson. No matter what you do, keep your sweater on. She had no choice but to do as she was told and board the bus that was waiting to take her away. Where are they taking us? She wondered. That's on the next episode of Caliber 60. Caliber 60 is reported and produced by Stefania Corpi and me, Toya Sarno-Jordan. Producer Jacob Rosati created all the sound design and original scoring for this podcast. Audio editing by Bennett Smith. Our editor is Yvette Benavides, associate editor of TPR and TPR Noticias. And Dan Katz is TPR's vice president of news and our executive producer. This is a production of Texas Public Radio with support from the Pulitzer Center and the Catena Foundation. Until next time.